Open our Bibles to John chapter 4. It's 22 to 24. I'm not going to be as long as normal. But uh, we'll like, we could sing a song at the end. see why, but John 4, 22 to 24, says you worship, you know not what, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we're going to, I'm just going to pray, and then I'll tell you what we're doing. We'll probably figure out where we're going. It's pretty, pretty obvious. Let's just pray once again that God would help us, speak to us, help us away. Jesus. And again, we come to you in prayer. God, I pray as we look at your word tonight, Jesus, that you would uh, speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you would raise us up as worshipers. God, I pray that your will would be done in our lives. God, I pray God, let your word go forth clearly and challenge, challenge us, I pray, that your will be done in Jesus' name. Standing the rest of the service. All right, you can sit. I should just see how long you will. See if you're as stubborn as I am. Um, <laughs> so worship. We haven't talked about that in a while. Worship is a an incredibly important part of the life of a child of God. And so for the the month of March. We'll see. You know, we always plan these things and don't always follow through. But uh, for the month of March, we're going to try to look at what we're going to call the four P's of worship, which kind of sounds funny. But sorry. So the, the proper way to worship, the preparation for worship, prayer in worship, and praise in worship. And so um, tonight will be the first one. If you look at our world, it's not hard to argue that uh, it's, a, it's a very diverse place. Um, linguistically, we're different. Culturally, we have different climates, hot, cold, tropical, um, desert, temperate, I don't know what they all are. We have different climates. Um, people are, are different colors. We have different sizes of people. Um, hair. Some have it, some don't, some get penalized. Um, different colors of hair, different colors of eyes, you know, different personalities, uh, all kinds of different things. But the one thing we have in common is a desire to worship something or someone. And nowadays, people, if you walk up to someone on the street, they'll probably deny it, but they're only fooling themselves. And they put their faith and trust in something even if it's just themselves. Um, and there's also a sense inside most of us that there is a, a God or a, a higher power that exists. And throughout history, this has 
been true today in our neck of the woods. Um, maybe it's a little less so because we tell our kids that's not true anymore and we squash that at an early age. Not us, but others. Uh, which is why children's ministry is important. But simply acknowledging that there may or may not be a God isn't you know, enough. And that, and that alone does not save a person. It only comes through hearing, believing, and obeying the gospel of Jesus. But worship by definition is a reverent devotion or allegiance, allegiance pledged, 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 pledged to a, a deity or an adoration shown to a god. If we studied ancient civilizations, you'd be hard-pressed to find an atheist among them. They worshipped anything they could. Uh, rocks, the sun, the river, the other river, the rain, the thousands of different things, trees, weather, whatever, whatever they could. And nowadays, people don't worship these types of things as much, especially where we live. And they may not identify it as worship, but they throw the same passion and reverence and devotion into um, pleasure, profits, possessions. Science, we've seen that in the last couple of years. Education, whatever. All kinds of, whatever it is. The Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't know. <laughs> and we, we have been created, I'm not going to say anything else. We have created with the, the need and desire to worship something. And we will do whatever we can as humans to fill that desire. So we were... Um, created with a, a need to fellowship with God, but when sin entered the picture, that harmony and that fellowship was broken. We've talked about this many times before as well. But if we look in the book of Genesis, we have a story of two brothers, Cain and Abel, and these are the first people we have record of after sin entered the world and broke that relationship, other than their parents. And these are the first ones that are born into this world that Adam and Eve have ruined. <laughs> and we can... Look at them and we can see their response to this desire that we have to worship. There's one, Cain, and he worshiped God in the way that God wanted him to. And he offered a sacrifice of a lamb. And the other, I'm oh, sorry, I got them backwards. Abel's the one that did the lamb. I even had it written right and I read it wrong. Abel offered the lamb. And the other, Cain, worshiped God the way that he wanted. And he offered a sacrifice of vegetables. And God honored Abel's sacrifice and worship and not Cain's. In Genesis 4, 4 to 7, it says, And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? And if thou doest well, and shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So God told Cain that if he did it right, he'd be accepted. It wasn't God liked Abel better than Cain. It was um, Cain just didn't do it right. But if he did it right, he would be accepted, and if not, he wouldn't. And he said there's sin waiting for him. And so we see right from... Right from the beginning, there's this principle in that story that there is a correct correct way to worship God in an incorrect way. All right, that's what we're going to talk about. So I know every week I say something, I said it today, you know, you can sit, stand, whatever, 
just worship. And that's true. There are different ways that we can show our worship, but there's a proper way to worship and there's an improper way. And people, um, they'll make the argument now that we all worship the same God, we just do it differently. Or we call them by different names. I don't know if you heard that stuff. Um, that sounds nice, because we don't want anyone to go to hell. We don't want anyone to, whatever, be judged. And so we just try to widen the road, but you can't. So people will say that sort of thing, and it sounds nice, but it's wrong. And the Bible says there's only one way to God, not many, and that is through Jesus. No matter how pure our intentions, our motives are, we have to worship God how he wants us to. And there's a hunger and desire in us to know God and to worship God. Um, we have to know him a little bit, or at least know of him. And so in John 4, Jesus meets a, a Samaritan woman at the well, and after they have a little bit of a conversation, the Bible says um, she perceives that he is a prophet. And she asks Jesus, you know, what's the right way to worship? Because we go to the mountain and the Jews say we need to go to Jerusalem and all this stuff. And in the opening text we read, Jesus answers her and that's what we're going to look at tonight. And he says, verse 22, 24, you worship, you know not what? We know what we worship. So you being the Samaritans, we being the Jews, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father and spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So it says, ye, you're the Samaritans, you worship, uh, you, you don't know what. You worship, you know not what. So, um, we're okay so far? Nobody's passed out yet? Okay. So if you're not familiar with who or what the Samaritans were, uh, I'll just give you a little background info so we all know where they come from. Because you don't see them in so much in the Old Testament, then they just kind of appear. And so uh, in 1 Kings 12, Israel as a nation was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin there in the south they become known as the kingdom of Judah, and the other ten tribes become the kingdom of Israel. So it'll be like Canada, I don't know, we had a civil split, and two provinces go one way, two go the other. One keeps the name Canada, one says we're the Maritimes, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, we'll just take him, the rest of you, I don't know, something. They just have a different name, so they just pick one of the names, so they split, and Rehoboam, he was the king of the south of Judah, and Jeroboam was the king of Israel. And so according to the law, they were all supposed to go to the temple to worship. Right? They would go certain times a year, so many times, three or four times a year. And um, But the temple was in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So where are the Israelites, the northern kingdom, where are they going to go? Because they're, they're not going... To Judah. So there's a problem here because they're divided. And Jeroboam, he's the king of um, the northern part of Israel, and he knows that when the people get together and worship, it's hard not to be unified. Right? Have you ever 
We talked about it before. If you're not getting along with someone, you come to church and we all worship together. It's really hard to hate them and be divided. Worship brings us together. So he knows that if they all go for the, you know, I can't remember what the feasts are. They all go for the Passover and they're all worshiping together. This whole divided kingdom is going to not work. So he's got to come up with a, a plan. And he's going to lose his power or his authority and his kingdom. So he's come up with a plan in 1 Kings 12, uh, 26 to 29. So Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall, or now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of the people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me. So Rehoboam was the guy that was supposed to be king, and Jeroboam, whatever, decided he also wanted to be king. And this, he says they're going to go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And then 28, he says, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, or unto Israel, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. It's too far. Too much of a journey, even though you've been doing it all along. It's too, too big. You don't want to do that. Too much of a hassle. So he says, Behold, thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he sent one in Bethel, and he put the other in Dan. So this king, he knows that if all the people worship together, they're going to be united. So he makes a couple of golden calves, just like Aaron did um, in Moses' day. And he tells the, his kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, these are your gods now. These guys brought you out of Egypt. And he puts them in two spots so they can go and they can worship without going to Jerusalem. And it was this. So they're still following the law as much as they can, you know, except for the no other gods before me and stuff. So they're following part of it. They've got the traditions that they do. They've got the feasts that they do, but they're doing it for these calves now because it's too far to go to Jerusalem. So this, there's this half incorrect worship that this is what's caused Israel to be conquered and they are led into captivity by the Assyrians in 2 Kings 17, if you're following. And so, so you've got this nation of people, the Israelites, and they look Jewish, they act Jewish, but they worship something other than God. They do it, they do it wrong. And when the Assyrians took over, they took people from Israel as captives, but they also, because they took over and they got out of the space, they sent Assyrians to live in Israel. And so the Assyrians in Israel and the Israelites who were left, who really didn't know God because they've been worshiping these two calves for so long and they don't really know what's going on. And they kind of became their own people and they married each other and they worshiped together. And they became such a mess that God um, sends a plague of lions and the king of Assyria realizing that God had done this because the people weren't worshiping him. So the king of Assyria, he figures out they're doing it wrong. But the Israelites don't. So he's, he sends one of the, the priests that they have, that they've captured, he sends them back to Israel to teach them how to do it right so all of his people aren't dying from the lions. It's pretty wild, right? <laughs> but if people don't want to learn, they won't. And so what happens is um, they mix the Hebrew and Jewish worship with the Assyrian worship, and it became this sort of um, perverted form of um, Judaism. They had some similar beliefs, 
They had some of the laws and things, but they had some very different and wrong ones. And so the Assyrians, they called Israel Samaria, and so the, the people who lived there became known as the Samaritans. And so by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, there's this twisted version of Judaism that's still being practiced. And these people, they're doing it the best that they know how, and they're doing what they were taught from their ancestors and stuff, and they were doing it sincerely, and they thought they were worshiping God, and they thought that they were doing it right. And this is why Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, ye worship, ye know not what. So they knew about God, but they didn't know God. And their worship was very much like proper worship, but it wasn't true and wasn't right, and it wasn't acceptable to God. Just like Cain and Abel. We look at that story and we're like, well, why? Oh, why wouldn't God accept the vegetables? Because he said there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way. So you have this group of people, the Samaritans, and they're doing their best to worship God, but everything is so twisted and warped from generations of false teaching that they're actually quite far off from the proper way. In fact, they don't even know who God is, Jesus says. And they have an idea. Maybe they've heard some things. You know, they interact with the Jews. They've got some idea, but their view of God is quite um, skewed and messed up. So Jesus says, you're worshiping what you don't know. And then he compares that with the Jews. And he says, we know what we worship. And this lets us know that in order to properly worship God, we need to have some understanding of who he is. I don't think you need to know everything. You don't need to know, you know the whole Bible from and backwards before you can worship. But you need to have some idea or understanding of who he is. His name, what he's done, the fact that he's holy, he is something. And that's why, you know, that's why we have the Bible, that's why we have preaching, that's why we sing songs when we come together to describe who he is so that any person coming in can join in and worship and have a glimpse of who he is. You're great. You do miracles so great. Yeah. Okay. I have an idea of who he is. I can worship from that. And, and we want people to, and so does God. And um, the word worship that we have, the English word comes from the Anglo-Saxon, which is old English, meaning um, worthyship is what it comes from. And it means giving to God that or what he is worthy of. In order to do that, we must come to him on his terms. He knows what he's worthy of, not us. Or else we're going to be doing it like the Samaritans. Our heart might be in the right place, but we're doing it wrong. So he knows who he is, and we can only know what he reveals to us. And one thing we know God is worthy of is our worship, glory, and honor. Revelation 4, 10 to 11, the four and 20 elders fall down before him, that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So God and God alone is worthy of worship. He's worthy of our glory. Uh, glory we can give him. He's worthy of honor and power. Um, and we know that he's holy. We know that. Beside him there is none, First Samuel 2 and 2, we read on Sunday, there is none holy as the Lord, and beside, uh, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. And we know what he's done by reading his word and by listening to testimonies from living for him. Um, and because we know, or we have some idea of who he is, 
uh, we can worship. And it's our job to tell others so they can too. Is it all okay so far? Amen. I didn't lose you anywhere. And uh, another thing God is, is jealous. Not jealous like a crazy ex. Um, but jealous as in he does not want to share his glory or his worship with another. Exodus 34 and 14 says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a Jealous God. So does that mean that God is on some crazy ego trip or a power trip and give me all the worship? Nobody has to. Is that? No. <laughs> because here's the thing. Worship does more for us than it does for him. Our worship does not make him better. Us worshiping him does not make him more holy. It doesn't make him more mighty. It doesn't change him at all. He does not need our praise and worship to exist. He existed before. You know, if I don't worship him, he's still going to exist. Instead, lifting him up in worship brings us, the people who are worshiping, an understanding of who he is, what he can do, and what our identity is in him. That's why Jeroboam didn't want the people to worship together. Worship is an experience of love between the creator and his creation. We need him, and he knows this. So he doesn't want us worshiping other things because that's not going to fix that. It's not going to fill that void. When we worship him, we begin to understand how much he loves us. We experience his presence and we feel that peace and joy and love when we respond to him in worship. And he wants us to worship him because he loves us. He's given his life for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And one of the reasons God doesn't want us worshiping anything or anyone else is because he loves us. Incorrect worship will not save us. His love, grace, and mercy do. So we need to worship him. And Jesus said he's looking for a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And he's looking for someone to worship him, to do it correctly in spirit and truth. And we'll get, that in a, get to that in a bit. But in order to properly worship God, we need to have some sort of idea of who he is first. But that, you know, just knowing who he is is not enough. Knowledge itself is not worship. In this time, um, the story, plenty of Jews had an idea of who God was. Also, plenty of them didn't really worship or even recognize him when he came. The Greek word that worship comes from means to kiss toward, to kiss the hand, or to bow down. It describes humble adoration. And in the New Testament, this word is to, to used to describe um, worship given to God and God alone. And all of our worship is to be directed to Jesus and Him only. We don't, like the children of Israel, we don't worship golden calves, even though maybe everything else we're doing is the same. We don't worship saints. We don't worship angels. We don't worship, I don't know, shrines or the cross or artifacts. We don't have statues up here that we bow, you know. We don't do that. We worship Him and Him alone. That, that's incorrect. No matter how heartfelt it is, it's, it's not right. 
And Jesus says, salvation is of the Jews, meaning at that moment they have the upper hand because they actually know who they're worshiping. And salvation first comes to them in the book of Acts, but we also know that later it's open to everyone else, including us. And that's why he immediately follows that with, but the hour cometh and now is. So up till now, only the Jews really know anything about God. There's a few Gentiles and maybe living amongst them, guys like Cornelius and stuff, but for the most part, it's only really the Jews that know anything about God and how to worship Him. And they come to the temple in Jerusalem and they bring their sacrifices, their offerings, their tithes and all this. And at this time, that's how people worship. But Jesus let the woman at the well know and us that this was going to change because not many years later in Acts 2, and the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all one accord in one place. And there suddenly, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. as the Spirit gave the utterance. Up until then, you had to go somewhere to experience the presence of God. You had to go to the temple. You had to go to the priest. And it was mostly restricted to the holy place or the holy of holies in the temple and the high priest would go in once a year and experience the pure undiluted presence of God and tradition says that God's presence was so strong it would light up a room and so in Acts chapter 2 his presence fills the believers and there appeared to be fire on each of them that lit up the room and we when we're filled with his presence we become that temple or that tabernacle that dwelling place for the presence of of God. And the thing that sparked this whole bit was the woman at the well asked Jesus where we should worship. And the Samaritans, they worshiped in the mountain. And the Jews, they worshiped in Jerusalem. But Jesus told her, you don't really know who you're worshiping anyway. The Jews do. But there's coming a day soon when you'll be able to worship anywhere. See, it's not about the location anymore. You don't need to come to church in order to worship. Don't hear me wrong. You don't need to come to church in order to worship. You need to come to church. And you need to worship when you come to church. Yes. <laughs> Don't misunderstand me. But this isn't the only place that you can worship. If you have the Holy Ghost, you have His presence with you, inside of you, wherever you are, and you can worship Him wherever you are. Because you become the temple, you become the tabernacle. In fact, Jesus says, this is the proper way to worship. It took us forever to get here, but the proper way to worship. This is how true worshipers worship him. Not like the Jews, not like the Samaritans, not once or twice a year, not in a certain spot, not going to the mountain, not going to Jerusalem. Verse 23 says, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. True worshipers, the kind that God is looking for, Proper worship. How is it done? And finally getting to the point, and a half an hour later, in spirit and in truth. There's two things we need to worship, spirit and truth. In spirit, up till now, you can see from the Samaritan woman, they're focused on a physical sight, a physical thing. Is it the mountains? Is it the temple? They're focused on going through some Actions, the, the sacrifice, the offerings, the, the psalms, the reciting of scripture and all of that. But that, I don't want to be misunderstood here, so please bear with me. That 
isn't worship. This may confuse and hurt some feelings here. Singing isn't worship. Dancing isn't worship. Sacrifice, wait till I'm done. Sacrifice isn't worship. Giving isn't worship. Serving, bowing, kneeling, clapping, lifting your hands, crying. That's not worship by itself. These actions are things we do or we use to demonstrate our worship. But these in themselves are not worship. Is, you know, if I sing a song to my wife and she sticks around long enough, is that worship? No, right? If I do a jig because a great Irish song is playing, I don't know. Is that worship? Is giving a gift to a loved one worship? Is serving someone worship? Is clapping at your kid's you know, concert, is that worship? Is raising your hands because the police have you surrounded worship? Is crying because Matthew Cuthbert died worship? Of course not. These Actions are not worship. But we've sort of confused that. We think if we do these things, this is worship. If I go to Jerusalem, it's worship. If I go to the mountains, it's worship. These actions themselves are not worship. They are, however, methods in which we can express our worship. There's a difference. You can go through the motions. You can clap. You can sing. You can dance around the church. Trying to tread softly, but you can make the trek to the mountains or to Jerusalem. You can come to every church service, but that's not what he's looking for. I'm not saying don't do that. He's instead looking for people to worship him in spirit. Worship needs to come from within. It's not the action. The action is an inward expression of what's happening Inside Worship is an internal thing that makes itself outward. I worship, and when I worship in the spirit, I cannot help but to clap, or to sing, or to dance, or to bow, or whatever. But worship needs to come from inside. And we can get caught up in the actions, like the Jews and the Samaritans were, but when it comes from inside of us, that's what true worship is. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying don't dance. I'm not saying don't sing. Don't clap and don't shout and don't fall on the floor and swing from the do. If that's how you're expressing what is going on inside, then do it. But just doing that itself is not. Because we can clap for anything. We can raise our hands for anything. We can cry over anything. And some of us do. Okay? We can get caught up in the actions, but when it comes from inside of us, the spirit, that's true worship. That's the powerful stuff. <clears throat> and we use these other things to express our worship, but true worship, what God is looking for, is people who worship Him in spirit. The physical stuff can change. 
We get old, we get tired, we can't jump like we used to. We overeat. We have rough days, we have children keep us up at night. We can't, our brains are half not here. You know, we can't sing like we used to. We got a sore throat on a Sunday. Oh, I can't worship today. You can. You know, like my feet are sore. I can't dance. You can still worship. So these things are what we use to express our worship, and they they change. We we can worship with our spirit no matter what, and that's what he wants. It doesn't mean be lazy in our worship. Give your best, because he deserves your best, but the worship that counts comes from our spirit. It comes from inside. So we all we also, with the spiritual side, when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we you know, engage with Him in worship in that way. But when we worship, it stirs up the Holy Ghost in us, and we can so we can worship anywhere because He's there. But we also have to worship in truth, and this goes along with what Jesus said about knowing versus not knowing who we're worshiping. So we need the Word to keep us lined up. We need the truth. We need the Word of God. Why? Because it shows us who He is. It shows us who we are. And it shows us what we need to do. And it shows us the truth. And the truth enables us to worship him properly. If we are left to our own devices, we will end up like the Samaritans. You can look at mainstream Christianity now. It's a mess. No one wants to speak the truth anymore. So we're just doing whatever feels good because we don't want to offend anybody. And whatever and whatever sounds good. And we run our churches like it's a business. And that's all that matters. Whatever. It's just crazy. Second Timothy 4, 3 to 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from what? From the truth. Shall we turn into fables? When we turn from truth and only listen to what we like to listen to, it's going to affect our worship. We're going to find ourselves on the outside looking in. So true worship needs to be in the spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That's what God is looking for. That's the worship God is looking for. The Samaritans and the Jews had their traditions and both thought that they had true worship. Both thought they had the upper hand and one knew more about God than the other. But at the end of the day, that's not what he was looking for. Yes, we need to know who he is. That's true. But true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. And that's what God is looking for. Um. He's not looking for tradition. He's not looking for years and years and generations and generations. Well, I'm a fifth generation Pentecostal. That's all that matters. Don't need to do nothing. That's all I need. He's not looking for that. He's not looking for how much you know. He's not looking for a certain place or time. He's looking for someone to worship him in spirit and in truth. If they're Samaritans, or Jews or Gentiles, doesn't matter. If they're men, women, children, doesn't matter. If they're Canadian, American, Japanese, Nigerian, indigenous, it doesn't matter. If they speak English, French, Spanish, Mandarin, or Arabic, it doesn't matter. If they're a citizen or an immigrant, it doesn't matter. If they're a liberal, NDP, conservative, doesn't matter. What matters is that we worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he's looking for. Spirit and truth. Honest worship, not pretentious. Look at me, I'm so special. Worship. That's not worship. Worship that's based on who he is, who we are, 
that comes from the heart. That's the proper way to worship. May you get focused on the actions and the places and the locations and, I don't know, Jerusalem, Miller Lake. <laughs> May you get focused and we come to the church building. And he's looking for people that can worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the proper way to worship. Line up with his spirit, line up with his word. And when we do that, we're doing it right. So you want to dance, you want to sing, you want to clap your hands, you want to shout, you want to raise your hands, that's fine. That's good. That's our response to what's happening. So let's, <laughs> I'm going to tell you to do one. Let's stand. Um, we're going to sing a song. Let's just worship him however you want. As long as it's coming from inside. you can. I guess you can sit if you want. I find it easier to stand. But let's worship him in spirit and in truth before we go tonight. Because he's, he's worthy. He's awesome. I know it's a Wednesday and we're used to just taking off now. And I guess it was longer than I thought I'd be. Let's, let's worship him together in spirit and truth tonight.